Turn with me. We're going to consider something this morning that is kind of goes hand in hand with what we were singing about the Lord coming back, but this is prior to His return. A dictator will come on the scene, and let's read some verses in chapter 7 together, and then we'll go through it. In Daniel's vision, in verse 7, he said, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. Now skip down to verse 11. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away. Their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. In verse 15, he says, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by, and I asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I wished to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron, its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. And the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up, before which three fell, namely... That horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints, prevailing against them, until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. The time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Then he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings which shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, shall intend to change times and law, then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and a half a time. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all his dominion shall, all dominion shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, 
and my countenance changed, but I kept this matter in my heart. And now, Father, we pray that you'd help us as we go through this, as we see what Daniel was predicting to come yet in the future, that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Rarely do dictators, when they come on the scene, come on as tyrants. Usually they come peacefully, they schmooze their audience. They seduce them with their power. Listen to this quote, for example. For the first time, our civilized nation now has full gun registration. Our streets will be safer now, our police force more efficient, and the world will follow our lead. That was spoken in 1936 by Adolf Hitler. And people thought, this is the greatest peacemaker who's ever hit the scene. People were seduced by him. One man after meeting him said, this is the greatest German who's ever lived. One man after meeting him in his diary said, all sorts of people have met Adolf Hitler and are convinced that he is the factor for peace. He doesn't seek war, but friendship. Even over in England, the clergymen, the Anglican clergymen were taken in by the Nazi party and by their pogroms and by their uh, political platform. And the clergymen, the reverends of the Anglican Church, spoke about Nazism and the boundless admiration for the moral and ethical side of the national social program. It is a clear stand for religion and Christianity and its ethical principles. Even Arnold Toynbee, the historian, was spellbound and was convinced of Hitler's sincerity. He said, quote, his sincerity in desiring peace in Europe and close friendship with England. There was one man on that scene who was not deceived. His name was Winston Churchill. He was one of the few voices at the time that said, you can't trust this guy. He sounds good, but he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Now in Daniel chapter 7, he sees ten horns arise out of the fourth beast, another horn, which is a king, which controls a coalition of ten kingdoms who seems at first peaceful, but he is bent on conquest, world conquest. Now, we talked last week about Daniel 7, that it's divided up into two basic sections. First of all, the vision. Secondly, the explanation of the vision. Daniel had this wild vision. He lost sleep. His countenance changed. You can understand why. And then he asks, what is the meaning of this? And the meaning is given for him. He sees a coming dictator. And I've entitled this message, The Last Deadly Dictator. Because though Daniel sees a time when the kingdom of God is set up upon the earth, he sees that there will be a lot of problems before that time. Remember in Revelation chapter 10, predictions are given to John about the future. And the angel says, John, take this scroll and eat it. John ate it. It was sweet in his mouth, but bitter in his belly. Sweet because God would rule and reign forever, bitter because of what would happen until that time. And so it is in Daniel chapter 7, he gets this sweep of Gentile history from the rise of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, on into the future until God sets up his kingdom upon the earth, which verses, incidentally, we skipped over, and we'll discuss more of them next week. The person, this dictator that we're speaking of, is given many names in the Scripture. 
He's called by most people, however, the Antichrist. Now, if you were to go out on the street and mention Antichrist, you'll find that most people in this world take Antichrist about as seriously as they take the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus. Oh, I've heard that before. That's some Hollywood rendition just to make movies, to make money with. And throughout history, many people have been given the title, the Antichrist. In 37 A.D., the early Christians called Caligula, the emperor of Rome, the Antichrist. In 57 A.D., they called Caesar Nero the beast, and many saw him as the Antichrist. Martin Luther and Wycliffe saw the Pope as the Antichrist. Others include Adolf Hitler, Moshe Dayan, JFK was called the Antichrist, Henry Kissinger, and most recently, Mikhail Gorbachev was called the Antichrist. Now, there are others. In fact, I had a high school teacher that could be perhaps considered a candidate, but (laughs) a lot of people have been given the title. There are four things in chapter 7 that are surfaced, that are prominent about this coming world dictator. Number one, he'll be a powerful ruler. Number two, he'll be an arrogant speaker. Number three, he'll be a violent persecutor. But fourthly, he'll be an ultimate loser, as we see all in this chapter. But let's consider him for a moment. In verse 7 and 8, he's a powerful king, a powerful ruler. We see this fourth dreadful beast that we mentioned last week. And then in verse 8, I was considering the horns, that is the ten horns. And there was another horn, singular, a little one coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots, And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. He is seen as a horn because horn is a biblical idiom for a ruler or a kingdom. The horns of animals, because they are used as weapons, were used in the Bible to describe power or authority. Listen to what God says in Psalm 75. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off but the horn of the righteous shall be exalted. Now this fourth beast we discovered last week is the Roman Empire historically. Daniel saw these, this animal parade before him. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then finally another kingdom that would subdue the earth, a very fitting description of Rome. Some scholars believe Rome lasted up to 1,500 years in history. It subdued the earth. It turned its fury against Italy and then Sicily and then Carthage and then Africa and just took over with brute force. One historian wrote and said the Roman policy in subduing was that of a master toward its slaves. Daniel sees this last empire of Rome, but he then sees ten kings coming out of that kingdom and a singular horn emerging. We have every reason to believe that that is yet to be fulfilled in the future. It has not been fulfilled yet. Why? Because when Rome fell, Rome fragmented. No foreign aggressor came against Rome to take it over. It just split up. And it has never successfully been brought back together, though many have tried. Charlemagne in the 8th century tried to revive the Roman Empire. He failed. Many others beside. The Muslims tried, they failed. Napoleon tried, he failed. Kaiser Wilhelm 
Tried, he failed. Adolf Hitler tried and promised his reign would be a thousand years, a millennium. He tried and he failed. And so scholars have been looking for what they have called the revived Roman Empire for about 1900 years because of these predictions. The predictions in Revelation 13, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7, Revelation 17 and others. A revived Roman Empire yet in the future. You say, Skip, how do you know that this yet has to be fulfilled in the future? Maybe it has already been fulfilled historically. Well, first of all, there is nothing historical that shows that ten kingdoms in the past have ever gotten together from the old Roman Empire and been bound together with a singular ruler. Secondly, in Daniel chapter 2, the corollary to this, in the vision of Nebuchadnezzar interpreted by Daniel, he sees ten kingdoms that arise upon the earth. And the prophecy says, in the days of those ten kings... The God of heaven will set up His kingdom that will never end. That hasn't happened yet. Have you seen God's kingdom around lately? Boy, every time I read the news, we're far from it. But in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up His kingdom that will never end. Now, these ten horns, controlled by this one horn, is spoken of many times in the Scripture. Revelation 13 and 17 speaks about a beast with seven heads, ten horns, and it interprets these as ten kings or ten nations. There are many who feel that the European Economic Community, the EEC, is the fulfillment of this scripture, and very possibly so. It certainly would fit being a part of the Roman Empire, at least in territory. Kings are binding themselves together. Nations are at least. You say, yeah, but I read up on this stuff and I find that there are 12, not 10. Yeah, but that could change. There is a flux of leadership going on right now in the European economic community. In fact, one spokesman on the chairman of one of the um, organizational leaders of the common market, his name is Henry Speck, said, quote, We do not want just another committee. We have already had too many committees What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold this allegiance of people and lift us out of the economic morass into which we are sinking. Send us a man, and if he be a god or a devil, we will receive him. Interesting kind of a quote, wouldn't you say? Be he a god or a devil, we just want a man who can bring solidarity. And indeed he will, the Bible predicts. I think, by and large, the world is ripe and ready for some kind of a ruler. There was a poll done in the last election here in the United States, and they asked people what they think about the political scene in America. Most of the voters, 57%, said, you know, I don't think it really matters. I don't think if you vote Republican or Democrat, it really matters. They're all the same. There is a distrust in party politics. Back in 1979... Time magazine ran an article on inflation. It was when it was really bad. It was affecting the average wage earner. And there was one guy in the article, which was called Inflation, Who Has Hurt the Worst? Arthur Garcia was featured. 36-year-old Arthur Garcia from the south side of Chicago, a steel worker. He had to support a wife and five kids on $19,000 a year. And he said, You really want to revolt, but what can you do? 
I keep waiting for a miracle for some guy who isn't born yet, and when he comes, we'll follow him like he was John the Baptist. Now we see, as the book of Revelation opens for us, in chapter 6, a man comes on the political scene masquerading as a masterful and peaceful politician. He comes at difficult economic times. He brings economic solidarity to the world. The people marvel at him. A time of peace. A time of prosperity in the midst of many years previous to that of economic despair. He comes on the scene. He does what no one has ever been able to do. Not only brings a strong economy and economic base to the world with these ten nations, but he somehow manages to bring a temporary peace to the Middle East problem between the Jews and the Arabs, the Palestinian problem, causing a temple to be rebuilt on the temple site, that 35 acres known as the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And he seems to make everybody happy for a period of time. He will be so spectacular that many people will say, this is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. We've heard talk about. They will look as this man is, he's the deliverer, the political Messiah we have awaited in our history. It'll be the wrong Messiah, though. I think this is what Jesus had in mind when he predicted. He said, I have come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. When another one comes in his own name, him you will receive. And indeed, they will receive him. One rabbi in Jerusalem, Moshe Schloss, told the Wall Street Journal recently, what's going on is now like labor pains. Listen to his terminology. Remember Jesus said right before he comes again, the second time, the earth will experience much like the labor of a woman, intense pain. What's going on now is like labor pains. It looks pretty messy, but in the end, what will come out is a new and living light. The Messiah may be just an eye blink away. Interesting phraseology this rabbi used, the labor pains of a woman. Of course, that's exactly what Paul the Apostle said about the Antichrist. When they say peace and safety, then cometh sudden destruction upon them, like a woman in labor waiting to have that baby delivered. And they shall not escape, he said in 1 Thessalonians 5. This political leader, this horn mentioned in this chapter, is a deceiver. Listen to some of the descriptions. Fifty different descriptions in the Bible. I'll only give you a few. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he's called the man of sin. The man doomed to destruction. A few verses down in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8, he's called the wicked one whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor or the brightness of his coming. That'll be out of sight. In Revelation 13, he's called the beast. He's a bloodthirsty dictator, a powerful ruler, who makes Hitler, Hussein, Stalin look like lightweights in comparison. In fact, Jesus said this time of tribulation will be unparalleled. History has never seen it, nor will history ever see it again. It's called the Great Tribulation Period. So, first of all, he'll be a powerful ruler. Look also now in verse 8. We see that he will be an arrogant speaker. He is called this horn. And there were eyes like the eyes of a man with a mouth speaking pompous words. He's a big mouth. 
Down in verse 11, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain, his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. In verse 20 and 25, he's also called a big mouth once again. When people think of the Antichrist, they think of somebody that is repelling, somebody that is ugly perhaps, somebody that you know, you look at and you go, that's him, look at him, he's got to be the Antichrist. Listen, he will be appealing to people. He will be, they'll be awestruck by his beauty. He'll be the extraordinary, absolute humanist of all times. People will be attracted to him. One commentator said he will have the oratorical skill of a John Kennedy, the inspirational power of a Winston Churchill, the determination of a Joseph Stalin, the vision of a Karl Marx, the respectability of a Gandhi, the military prowess of a Douglas MacArthur, the charm of a Will Rogers, and the genius of a King Solomon. Could you imagine all that wrapped up in one person? The dangerous thing is that he makes peaceful promises, but later on he changes his tune. He becomes very arrogant and blasphemous against God and those who dwell in heaven. Would you keep a marker here and turn to the New Testament book of Revelation? Revelation 13. Let's see what John sees in his vision about this guy. You might want to keep a marker there. I think we'll turn there a couple more times. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. It's like the vision of Daniel, but now in reverse, because it's seen after, or it's seen uh, uh, this Antichrist after the fact, having those characteristics of those kingdoms. The dragon gave his power, his throne, and great authority. In verse 3, I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. His deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon. In Revelation 12, that is Satan, who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things, great and blasph- uh, great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months, three and a half years. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Now, what does that mean? Well, further insight is given in 2 Thessalonians. You might just want to mark that in your Bible or make reference to it later. It says, a man of sin will come on the scene, now listen to this, who opposes and exalts himself above God, calling himself God by sitting in the very temple in Jerusalem. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And it says, So that he sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. In the middle of this peace program, he will turn upon people, blaspheme God, demand that everybody worship him, claiming that he is God. He will be an arrogant dictator. Dr. Charles Feinberg, a Jewish Christian scholar, 
noted that from the time of Jesus Christ up to the present, Israel has seen 64 separate people who have claimed to be the Jewish Messiah. This will be number 65 at least, and he will sway very many people in that direction. What intrigues me is his plan. Because we have Satan, the Antichrist, and another beast that John later on sees called the false prophet that arises also out of the sea. The false prophet is sort of like his manager. He commands all the people to worship the Antichrist. So it's like a satanic trinity. He's trying to masquerade himself or mimic God. Satan, sort of like a mimic of God the Father, the Antichrist, anti-meaning instead of rather than against, claiming himself to be the Messiah, worshiping, worship me, he says, and then the false prophet pointing the people to worship the Antichrist, a satanic trinity. Further on in the book of Revelation, we see that this arrogant speaker brings a religious system that all the people tied together in the world called Mystery Babylon shall worship. Somehow appealing to the Buddhist, the New Ager, the Muslim perhaps, all of the different groups in the world worshiping together. You know what amazes me? As I look at where we are in history, I see the world is just getting ripe for a new worship system. If you were to poll people today in America, the term spiritual is very high on their list. People are talking about spirituality. But their view of God and spirituality is very different. George Barna, predicting the kind of religion in America in the 1990s and the new millennium, said this, quote, It's likely that from Christianity they'll borrow Jesus' philosophy of love and acceptance. From Eastern religions they will borrow ideas related to each person being his or her own God, the center of the universe, capable of creating and resolving issues through his or her own power and intelligence. From Mormonism they will extract the emphasis upon relationships and family toward establishing a greater sense of community. I think, in a sense, that's what this Antichrist is going to come on the scene with. Arrogant speech, many promises, turn upon people, this religious system that will be probably very appealing. Now, why would he make it so appealing to people on the planet Earth? Well, it says in Revelation 12, Satan knows that his time will be short. He doesn't have much time left. And in that little window of opportunity, he just turns it up to ten on the deception mode to get everybody as feeling good about what they're doing as possible before he strikes and wrecks havoc. You know, it's sort of like this. Imagine being on a cruise ship. You're having a great time, but something has happened that you don't know about. Only the captain knows. There's some kind of hole in the hull, some leak. The ship is sinking. It's going down. You don't know. You're having a great time. All of a sudden, the captain comes over to the loudspeaker. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain. Many of you have bought second and third class tickets. We have room in first class. You can have them for free. Have those rooms. They're yours. You think, God, oh, what a nice guy. What a great captain. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to play football in the um, auditorium, go ahead. Don't worry if you break a lamp or a chandelier or mess up the carpet. All the drinks are free as well. People go, man, this guy's great. 
Yeah, but you don't know that in five minutes you'll be dead. And the devil will come and he'll deceive people. And this beast will come with arrogant, blasphemous speech. He'll come with a peace program. He'll make people follow him. He'll set up a religious system. And people go, this guy's great. Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? What he knows that they won't know during that time is soon the time is up. A lot of people are being deceived the same way by the devil today. Hey, I'm having a great time. God isn't a part of my life. I get all that I want. Yeah, but what you don't know is that you have an eternity to face and you're going to be facing that shortly and you're on the wrong side. So he will come on the scene. He'll be a powerful ruler. He'll be an arrogant speaker. Thirdly, he'll be a violent persecutor. If we look back in Daniel chapter 7, In verse 21, I was watching. And the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. Of course, I don't believe this is the church. Because Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. This is another group during the tribulation period. I was watching and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. In verse 25, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and laws. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for times and time and a half a time. He will come as a persecutor after a time of peace. At that three and a half year mark, which we'll discuss later on in our book of Daniel, he will set up an abomination of desolation. And we'll discuss what that is later. He will then persecute. The word for persecution here means to wear out the saints, sort of like you take a garment and just overwork it and wear it out till it's of no use. And in the tribulation period, we read in the book of Revelation, the saints cry out, the persecuted saints, those who refuse to take the mark of the beast, as described in chapter 13 of Revelation, cry out, God, how long? How long will you wait before you avenge our blood upon those who are persecuting us and dwell upon the earth? How long will it be? The Antichrist, the false prophet, band together. Persecute 144,000 of the children of Israel, as well as this innumerable Gentile multitude, those who come to Christ during the tribulation period, who refuse to take the mark of the beast or the image of his name. In fact, let's turn now over to Revelation 13. We have a few minutes left. Revelation 13 In verse 14. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast should speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or their foreheads, that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Actually, Jesus predicted this, didn't he? He said, they will deliver you up and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And he spoke in the context of the Great Tribulation period. And it seems that this is sort of a duplication 
of the early church's persecution by Rome. This fourth beast was Rome and persecuted the early church. The ten nations that come out of the Roman Empire, this revived Roman Empire, will unleash its fury, much like Nero, Diocletian, Caligula, and all the other jokers before him, persecuting the saints of God, wearing out the saints of the Most High. Now, at the same time, and and, and I don't want to give it all away, but in Revelation chapter 11, two evangelists come on the scene, two witnesses, who do incredible things in the midst of this persecution, and uh, they have power in their uh, uh, own bodies to call fire down from heaven, to uh, turn the sea into blood, and all sorts of things that... We don't have time to discuss this morning. But now the best part. Turn back to Daniel 7. We see that he's not only a powerful ruler, an arrogant speaker, a violent persecutor, but he's the ultimate loser. Because though he has a time where he makes war against the saints and overcomes them for three and a half years, it says in verse 26, But the court shall be seated, and they will take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. So he might be king for a day, but not for long. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. This arrogant dictator will be debunked and dethroned at the second coming of Jesus Christ. You can read about it in Revelation 19. John said, I saw heaven opened and seated on a white horse with crowns on his head was Jesus Christ, this Almighty One, coming from heaven with His saints to the earth. And Paul said in 2 Thessalonians, He will destroy this man of sin with the brightness of His coming and the sword of His mouth. It's going to be awesome because you're going to see it. You'll get a bird's eye view. Coming with Jesus Christ, you'll be able to watch the whole thing as the Antichrist takes his military forces, gathers them together against the Lord. It's predicted in Revelation 16 and 19 at Armageddon, the Valley of Megiddo. Jesus Christ comes again, putting his foot on the Mount of Olives. It's really not a battle of Armageddon. It's a wipeout. Jesus just says, move over, Jack. I'm in charge here. Now, that will be the time when you should be remembering the words of one of your favorite Christmas carols, Joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. That's what Isaac Watts had in mind when he wrote that. It wasn't about the nativity scene, Jesus' first coming, but it was his second coming. Let earth receive her king. The first time Jesus came, he came like a baby. In humility, the second time he comes, he'll be a conquering king. The first time he came, a star directed people to where he was. The second time he comes, the stars will fall from the heavens. Heaven will be rolled up like a scroll, and he'll just take over. Now, you may be one who thinks, oh, I've heard this stuff before. Let's not talk too much about the second coming. It's not very important in the Scripture. Listen, one out of 30 verses in the Bible, one out of every 30 verses, make reference to the second coming or the end times. There's only four New Testament books that fail to disclose it as a major doctrine. It's important. But how embarrassing it will be when Jesus comes again to be on the side of the beast. Who is like the beast? He's awesome. Oh, how embarrassing when Jesus comes again and just wipes out the armies of the beast and his government. Years ago, Billy Graham told a story. It was in his book, World of Flame, about President Eisenhower. 
Listen to it. When former President Dwight Eisenhower was vacationing in Denver a number of years ago, his attention was called to an open letter in a local newspaper, which told how six-year-old Paul Haley died of incurable cancer. Dying of incurable cancer had expressed his wish to see the President of the United States before he died. Spontaneously, in one of those gracious gestures remembered long after a man's most careful prepared speeches are forgotten, the President decided to grant this boy's request. One Sunday morning in August, a big limousine pulled up outside the Haley home and out stepped the President. He walked up to the door and knocked. Mr. Donald Haley opened the door wearing blue jeans, an old shirt, and a day's growth of beard. Behind him was his little son, Paul. Their amazement at finding President Eisenhower on their doorstep can only be imagined. Paul, said the President to the little boy, I understand you want to see me. Glad to see you. Then he shook hands with the six-year-old, took him out to show him the limousine, and shook hands again and left. The Haley's, their neighbors, and a lot of other people probably talked about this kind and thoughtful deed of a busy president for many days to come. Only one person was not entirely happy about it, and that was Mr. Haley. He can never forget how he was dressed when he opened the door. He said, those jeans, the old shirt, the unshaven face, what a way to meet the President of the United States. Oh, that will pale in comparison to seeing Jesus Christ come again. And all of the people of the earth saying, we did it, we're awesome, humanism, this guy, the beast. Oops. Here's the point. You better get a new change of clothes before Jesus comes again. Be clothed in His righteousness. He is coming. All of the kingdoms that Daniel saw occurred just like he predicted them. He saw Babylon. It rose, it fell. He saw Medo-Persia. It rose, it fell. He saw the Grecian Empire. It came, it went. He saw Rome. It came and went. But he saw another coalition of ten nations arising and this dictator coming. Now, I'm not looking for this dictator. It's very possible. I believe he's probably on the scene today, somewhere. He's alive on planet Earth. I'm not looking for him. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I don't expect to be here, frankly, during that time. The Bible says, looking for the great and glorious appearance of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what I'm looking for. But he is coming. And I want to be on the right side, lest we be internally embarrassed. So, Father, as we consider this future vision that Daniel saw, that John speaks about, that Paul mentioned, that Jesus referred to, it's all over the place. I pray, Father, as Jesus taught us to pray, that we would be counted worthy to escape all of these things and stand before the Son of Man. It's exciting to see what you have in the future. At the same time, it's, it's bitter in our belly. As we realize havoc will be wrecked upon this earth, many will be deceived. I pray, Father, that this morning we would be found in you and clothed with your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.